Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that simply everything has its own history, like anger, treats, or the colour brown, or cheats, peats, and expletes, which is all about the history of swearing, I imagine, or wells, bells, and smells. We've done perfume in the past. The history of smells, I think, is an interesting we're one. we're going to write a book about rhyming? Yeah. I think we God, should. we could do the unexpected history of rhyming. It'd be oh, amazing. Let's pop it down on our list. Before we record that, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of cricket is all about empire, umpire, politics, <laughs> apartheid, education and fairness, technology pockets and zombies... Remember our zombie yeah. zombie podcast? You should all go back and listen to that. It's about bashing zombies over the head with cricket bats. <laughs> oh, remember that? Yes, I do. The man sitting opposite me, he squeezes the truth out of history like a garage. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I was a tart tatam. This time I'm a murder Spanish weapon. Spanish murder weapon. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the Albert point of historical execution. Hmm. It is the wonderful, famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. I don't know who Albert Pierpoint was. Uh, he was the last executioner, the last hangman in Britain. A very famous film recently uh, with Timothy Spall. Ah, yes. Very good. Very good. So, uh, if you can't guess, today we are talking about the history of executions. Why did you pick executions, Sam, as a topic to do? Ah, um, you've caught me on the hoof there. The answer to that is because I am writing a book currently for the British Library, um, which is a new edition of the 1734 uh, volume of this wonderful book here. I've got it in front of me. Um, it is a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates by Captain Charles Johnson. Um, Who didn't actually write it. forms part of this book. Oh, by Studies of S. The Lives and Actions of the Most Noted Highwaymen, Street Robbers and Pirates, also by Captain Charles Johnson. And um, they all end rather miserably for the poor people there. So the stories themselves are all... A, 
it, there's there's a bit of a theme going on. This this is what happens to you if you steal people's property. It's um, all about executions. It's all about executions, and it's the run-up to execution, and it's all about people's obsession with history and wanting to understand how things happen. So all of these lives in these books are biographies. They're lives of famous criminals, and it ends at the gallows. Usually, if you're a pirate, you might end up being hanged in chains, which is your dead body presented to the world for as long as possible. Right. Um, and it explains how how these people went from A to B and that means that a lot of them are often well to do and they've left a life of luxury and education and they've gone from one extreme to the worst possible extreme which is having your corpse being eaten by seagulls and crows on the banks of the Thames. Mm. So how do we go about writing a history of execution? What are the different ways in which you think about it? Let's muse on that for a bit. Yeah I mean so once I started looking into it it became I became slightly obsessed right. with the history of executions. Yes. And the more you look into it, the more it unravels as a subject. It's it's a perfect fodder for histories of the unexpected. So the first thing to do, I think, is look at the um, technique of execution yes. that was used, the reasoning for the execution, the legal process which has yes. gone through the execution beforehand. You can think about how people responded to the execution. You can think about um, accounts of people who were involved in the execution and you can uh, and the, the, the final accounts of the people who are being executed. Um, you can see how that varied over time. You can see how it varied over location. We can look at it through the eyes of our contemporary eyes, through the modern world. Um, trying to understand who still has the capital uh, has capital punishment, why they do it, and how they do it, and how history has led them to that yeah. that place. You can use it, I suppose, as a lens for judging a particular, examining a particular kind of society. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we live in a country, the United Kingdom, where there is no death penalty, and the death penalty was done away with quite some time ago. But around the world, you know, the death penalty is still very much in place. Um, in America, for example, it's you know it, it's very it's very prevalent, and lots of studies of people on death row and the kind of impact that that has on them. But this this idea of the technologies of executions, I think, is is fascinating in itself. Yeah, and also what counts as an execution? Yes, because I was reading some stuff about the Tudor explorers, and they were, had in turn been writing about cannibals, and. I had a bit of a moment trying to work out whether the cannibals were executing their prisoners to eat them or whether that was just plain murder. Or just dinner. Or just dinner. Because <laughs> yes. they boiled them in a pot. Yes. Um, but, but they also fattened them up, which links to my really interesting history on the history of fattening, which I did for uh, our Romans book. It does. But yeah, so, you know, what, what actually counts as execution, yeah. whether it has to be done in public, whether it has to have some kind of legal basis behind for it. it. Yes for it, or whether it's just simply a reason you're being executed for a particular reason, whatever that might be, yes. rather than being murdered by accident and what's, or murder and what's on purpose. The, and what's the public good behind it? Mm. You're obviously eradicating people that you don't want around, but also you're teaching others a message. You know, and, and public executions, um, you know, put ram home a really <laughs> sort of a really... Um, vivid message. I mean, take, for example, what's happening in... what we hear is happening in North Korea at the moment. Kim Jong-un and those horrific public executions of, you know, close party members and family members. Have you you read any of these where people are literally put in front of, you know, of um, aircraft 
machine guns uh, and just obliterated. The kind of methods that we have today are this hanging is still there, shooting, lethal injection, electrocution. We did that when we looked at the history of the chair, the gas, beheading, stoning, crucifixion is still there. But if you look over time, there are all kinds of different techniques that people have had from you know using animals so people being eaten by animals being stung by scorpions and snakes people having their backs broken the blood eagle sacrifice that we looked at in our vikings book our vikings book where the ribs were ripped open and the lungs pulled out over the back boiling people to death people being broken on a wheel um People being buried alive. People the being bro- broker on a wheel is an interesting one because it's the more you read into it, it's actually broken by a wheel. Yes. A lot of time there are people who, who are pinned to the floor and then yes. a heavy wheel with yes. a sharp iron rim is yes. dropped on them. Yes. I tried to find out a bit more about that, but I couldn't. It seems there must be an interesting history behind that. I bet there is. Mm. Hang drawing and quartering. I mean, this is something that ha- we see happening in 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 England in the medieval and Tudor period. I mean, this is where you hang somebody. This is for treason for men. You hang somebody until they're almost dead. You then bring them down. You emasculate them. So, in other words, you cut off the genitals. Um, you then um, you then cut the stomach open and take out the intestines, and then you quarter them. Um, and then heads are placed in prominent places, often on London Bridge. And the idea here is not only is this a horrific crime, a horrific punishment for somebody, but also the fact that you've then got these public symbols of execution to be a lesson to other people, whether it be on Traitor's Gate or whether it be on the London Bridge. It's fairly gory. The, the, yeah, the more I've read into that, the more, they're on borders of places, usually, just out there on walls, they're on entrances to ports. Yes. They're on the, the entrances and exits of places, uh, usually often just outside walls as well. Yes. Um, and there's something to do with, with civilization and what is acceptable and what is clean. Yes. What's going on Impalement. there. So people being basically poked onto, onto objects. Hmm. Uh, those of you who've read your Edward II, uh, his Shakespeare Marlowe play, um, Edward II, Edward II is executed by basically having, I mean, in that play, a red-hot poker basically put inside him. Um, and then he sort of burns, burns outward. I think in the, the historical figure was, was, you know, was, was impaled rectally. Um, my the worst that I've come across is in ancient Persia, um, an execution called scaphism, uh, which is basically where you take the person being executed, you take them out and you put them between two boats and you force feed them honey and milk and then you leave them in a stagnant pond and the idea is that they will basically... Um, Basically, they will die through a process of diarrhoea. So this will this will upset the stomach so much that they basically have chronic diarrhoea. And then because it's a stagnant pond, you've got insects that bury themselves into them and feed on them. And Ugh. they're left there and they die from septic shock. 
that that sounds to me like one of the most barbaric forms of execution. Uh, I hope you're not eating breakfast, people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, you're, as you're listening to this. Many of you might be. Yeah. Uh, apologies for that. There are obviously very many different ways we can get into this and yes. to think about it. Yes. Um, so the other week... I went with the excellent Navy Records Society. If you don't know who the Navy Records Society is, you should all join them. Have a look at navyrecords.com and they do truly wonderful things. They've been publishing naval history since 1893 and they do all sorts of fun trips out. I went on a trip out to the National Maritime Museum. So we take our members to archives and get them to actually get their hands on some proper material. Do they get to meet you as well? Yes. Oh, what fun. Um, We went to the Caird Library archive where... We were given a chat about some of the things that they were archiving and some of their new acquisitions. And one of them was a huge amount of material which had come from the Colville family, of which there was uh, um, Alexander Colville, who was a very famous naval officer in the 18th century. Joined the Navy at the age of 15 uh, as a King's Letter boy, and he went on to all sorts of interesting, interesting stuff. So he was at the siege of Portobello in 1740, um, another one uh, in Cartagena in 1741, um, commanded a hospital ship at the Battle of Toulon in 1744. That's very interesting. Um, a third rate ship at the Battle of Louisbourg, 1758, it's Quebec, 1759, you found it in 1762. Lots and lots of really important, interesting campaigns in the 18th century, and he rose up the ranks. Um, and he was also a very talented, detailed diarist. Hmm. So we were just having a quick look through some of his diaries, and I'd like you to have a look at this uh, photograph of a manuscript, James, which I'm about to ping you. I have it here. OK. And tell me what it says. Well, it comes out very, very small on my phone, but it says, uh, 14 on duty at the execution... Of old Bing, Ad Bing, Admiral Ad Bing. Bing, Admiral Bing. So this is this is Colville's diary, and I was reading it just as and I thought, oh my god, he was he was a witness at the execution of Admiral Bing, which is a big big deal. Yes. Um, now have a look at that. Describe what's going on here to me, James. So what's happening here is they are at the stern of a wooden ship, and. There is a gentleman kneeling on a cushion, holding a handkerchief, blindfolded. He's just dropped it. He's just just dropped it, would you say? Uh, Yes, it looks like he's just dropped it. Um, Blindfolded, and there are a series of soldiers. Uh, One, the front row is kneeling down, the back row standing up. And they are holding rifles and there is a cloud of smoke and presumably they are firing to execute him. So tell us about Admiral Bing. A couple of chaps on the right. What do you reckon they're doing? Uh, on the right, having there's, a, there's having somebody... A cry. There's somebody... Well, there's a couple of chaps on the right. There's somebody who has a piece of paper in his hand. So presumably he has made some sort of statement yep. about the crime... And then there are two figures who, yes, the handkerchiefs are much in use here. It seems one is dabbing, dabbing his eyes. Is that a secretary or somebody? Or friends, I think. Somebody, friends. We, uh, made me think we could do something on the history of handkerchiefs. Yes, love a handkerchief. Uh, we've mentioned that in our World War II book. Yes. They're all, yes. About, they're all about resistance. Let's do handkerchiefs. Yes, they're all about um, sexuality as well. Hmm. 
Interesting. Right. In Prosthetic this instance, gender. So, the 14th, he was at the execution yes. of Admiral Bing. So, 14th of March, 1757. This is yes. Admiral Bing. He is executed on his own quarterdeck. Hmm. He's got some significant stuff wrong. And what he got wrong was the way he fought at the Battle of Menorca in 1756. So Menorca's in British hands. It's being attacked by the French. They've landed 12,000 troops. And he doesn't do enough to fight the French. Hmm. What he actually does is enough to protect the island and to protect the British interests. But what he doesn't do is go hell for leather and try and destroy the French fleet. And he is roundly condemned for it. It's a kind of crucial period in British naval history when they're trying to work out what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable mm. from people in command of fleets. And even though he was really up against this and he did the most sensible and wise decision, um, he was roundly condemned and he was found guilty for failing to do his utmost to take or capture the enemy ships. So there's a moment in naval history where capturing enemy ships and taking them is more important than um, protecting your land, or at very least you can't defend yourself from a kind of a broader perspective of naval strategy. So at midday, on the 14th of March, he's led aboard um, the Monarch in Portsmouth Harbour. He kneels on a cushion, he ties his hanky around his eyes, the other one he holds onto another hanky, and he asks the Marines to fire the moment he drops the handkerchief. So he's there's an interesting element of control that he's retained here in his own execution. Hmm. And the men in tears are close friends. One of his, his one is his secretary, George Lawrence, to whom Bing had given his watch moments before. There's an interesting history of watches and time stopping here as well. Everyone agrees that Bing died with exceptional bravery, but there's very little professional sympathy within the Navy uh, for what he actually did or, or didn't do. Now, it's a very important moment, and it was picked up by... All sorts of people. It was very famous what was happening here, particularly the French writer Voltaire, who said that it was done uh, pour encourager les autres, to encourage the others, um, to make them not do it. And the actual description that Voltaire has of it in his book is really interesting. Why did they kill this admiral, he asks? It's because he did not kill a sufficient number of men himself. He gave battle to a French admiral and it has been proved that he was not near enough to him. But, replied Condide, the French admiral was as far from the English admiral. There is no doubt of it, but in this country it is found good from time to time to kill one admiral to encourage the others. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now, there's a really important and interesting history there. So you can break that down into naval history. You can look at the strategy. You can look at the tactics. You can look at execution as a form of warning and execution as a form of encouragement. And that's something that runs right through the period from the 1700s or even before that onwards mm. with public mm. execution of criminals, yeah. the public display of crime in general yes. and the necessary kind of public reaction to that. So on the one hand, you're, you're, you're feeding a monster because the public want more and more and more of this public interaction with criminals. Um, so you're, you're almost encouraging it which is the thing, and the the public's response to it is crazy. They all start writing about it. There's all The final speeches are published. And there's a very close public interaction between the, between the execution of criminals and the, the way that they, they get entertainment, essentially. Yes, yes. You're getting all, almost all Michel Foucault ah. on us here with his, his... I'm thinking here of his book Discipline and Punish, which is all about the rise of the birth of the prison but as part of it is this sort of um exploration of capital punishment and execution and the the way in which it um the way in which it enables the state to show its its power i think also interestingly though that that sort of spectacle the stage of whether it be the scaffold or whether it be you know, any kind of execution, there is a way of flipping that on its head. So it's not just about state power, but it's also about when it's an opportunity for the person who is condemned and who is being executed to actually flip the tables and have some degree of agency, you know, so to be able to... And it's quite common to have set-piece speeches... I mean, in the sense, you know, when your when your time is up, it's up. Mm. And you've got nothing to lose, so you can come forward with the, you know, with these great speeches. I'll give you one example of this, which is in uh, the execution of Lady Jane Grey. Right. So in the Tudor period, so Lady Jane Grey, as you know, um, is put on the throne after Edward the Sixth dies. You know, for, the sort of for, and stays there for a few days. Um, the rightful ruler is Mary the First. Um, everything falls apart very, very quickly and there is a set piece uh, sort of execution of her and we have recorded a her words um, from the time and this take, brings us also not only to, you know, looking at these at execution as an opportunity for propaganda and for people to sort of put forward their, their sort of political vision um, but also how we know about this. You know, and it's there are several different versions of the scaffold speech. You know, somebody's not sitting there, you know, recording it, you know, um, verbatim. Mm-hmm. They're piecing it together by in in different ways, which talks to you about the way in which chronicles and reports were compiled during the Tudor period. But I'll read you just uh, one version of this scaffold speech. So this is the scaffold speech of Lady Jane Grey. My lords and you good Christian people which come to see me die, I am under a law, and by that law, as a never-erring judge, I'm condemned to die. Not for anything I have offended the Queen's Majesty, for I will wash my hands guiltless thereof, and deliver to my God a soul as pure from such trespass as innocence from justice. 
but only for that I have that I consented to the thing which I was enforced unto, constraint making the law believe I did that which I never understood. So basically she's saying it wasn't her fault. She's put up to it. It's not a matter of treason. Notwithstanding, I have offended almighty God in that I have followed over much the lust of mine own flesh and the pleasures of this wretched world. Neither have I lived according to the knowledge that God hath given me, for which cause God had appointed unto me this kind of death, and that most worthily according to my deserts. Howbeit I thank him heartily that he hath given me time to repent my sins here in this world and to reconcile myself to my Redeemer, whom my former vanities have in great measure displeasure, Wherefore, my lords and all good Christian people, I must earnestly desire you all to pray with me, to pray with and for me whilst I am yet alive, that God of his infinite goodness and mercy will forgive me my sins, how numberless and grievous soever against him. And I beseech you all to bear me witness that I here die a true Christian woman, professing and avouching from my soul that I trust to be saved by the blood, passion and merits of Jesus Christ my Saviour only and by none other means, casting far behind me all the works and merits of my own actions as things so far short of the true duty I owe that I quake to think how much they may stand up against me and now I pray you all, pray for me and with me. It's a very brave thing she's doing here. I mean, not only is she saying that it's not her her fault she's been put up to it, but she's saying that she goes to her maker with a pure soul. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this is where it where it where it occurs. This is printed. This is printed not only in in Protestant books that come out during Mary's reign and after that are championing the Protestant cause, and she is one of the first group of martyrs uh, in this cause. So the scaffold here is a way of, you know, communicating your propagandist message. And I like the idea of it being witnessed. Yes. So she's got an audience. Yes. And it comes back to this idea of Colville being an Admiral Bing's execution. I don't know what status he was there at. I suspect as another leading naval officer, he would have required to to have been there. Um, But then you think about how that works elsewhere so currently in india one yes. of the, the the ways that people are interested in execution are what they call encounter killings so where the criminal suspects is arrested or, or or gunned down by the police or the army in the process of committing the crime or they're found to be they're found on the street and then they're executed so it's like what's happening in the philippines with the gun yes. war there yes so they are found they are executed it is done in public it is done on the hoof japan yes it's very different tell um, us about japan Secrecy. Mm. It's all about secrecy. So it's in secret. It's the opposite. So, yes, the, the, the condemned are informed only hours in advance of their time of execution. Up to, afterwards, the convict's family is informed that they may collect the body. The press is told that an execution took place, but the communication doesn't usually include the convict's name and often doesn't even indicate who's making the announcement. China, again, is different. So executions are frequently carried out in public and before important political events and national holidays. Yep. Um, in Israel, again, it's very different, but they, they tend to do more extrajudicial assassinations and murders rather yep. than they still carry them out, but with, with a single exception of Adolf Eichmann, 
the um, the famous Nazi who they yes. found and then they yes. executed in public. So yes. they do that as a way of to not create martyrs. Mm. So publicity can, it, you know, in Lady Jane Grey's case and Bing's yes. case, certainly, yes. we've done to create martyrs, yes. I suppose. Yes. Um, well, not not intentionally. They become they become martyrs afterwards. Yeah. What What's extraordinary in the early modern period, so the 16th and 17th century, and, and later, is that public execution is a form of entertainment, you know, rather like bear baiting and going to the theatre. Um, Tyburn, um, Tyburn Tree was a, a place where people were, were hung and hanged and were executed. Just by Marble Arch. Yes. Just if you're a London, Londonite, if you're walking from Paddington to Oxford Street, you walk straight past Tyburn. And people could pay would actually pay to go and and sit and and observe and hawkers would sell yeah. fruit and pies. And there's so, an entire administration so real, around it. There's someone yeah. responsible for selling the tickets. Yep. So yeah. and and the but what does it say about a society where people want to go along and see that kind of um, that that sort of spectacle? Um, that we've we've already said that part of it is about teaching people a lesson but there is also something about going along and just and seeing it and the fact that execution was a part of everyday life the londoner diarist henry machen frequently talks about executions in his book you know talks about you know seeing pirates executed and witches burned and and heretics burned uh, there's a really good description from a Swiss traveller uh, visiting London in 1599, a man called Thomas Platter, and he records this account of executions in London. Especially every quarter when the law courts sit in London and they throng from all parts of England for the terms to litigate in numerous matters which have occurred in the interim, for everything is saved up till that time. Then there is a slaughtering and a hanging, and from all the prisons people are taken and tried. When the trial is over, those condemned to the rope are placed on a cart, each one with a rope about his neck, and the hangman drives with them out of the town to the gallows called Tyburn, almost an hour away from the city. There he fastens them up one after another by the rope and drives the cart off under the gallows, which is not very high off the ground." Then the criminal's friends come and draw them down by their feet that they may die all the sooner. Rarely does a law day in London in all the four sessions pass without some 20 to 30 persons, both men and women, being gibbeted. Mm. And that's quite extraordinary. Um, as part of this spectacle, it's not just it's not just theatre, it's not just public spectacle, but also the publishing industry gets hold of it. And you've got a series of pamphlets by an author, uh, Henry Goodcole, and it's called Heaven's Speedy Hue and Cry, sent after lust and murder manifested upon the sudden apprehending of Thomas Sherwood and Elizabeth Evans, known as Country Tom and Canbury Bess. And these are two murderers, and it talks about the way in which they've gone round the countryside you know, murdering people. They get caught, and then it gives this sort of gruesome description of their confession, their public sort of utterances upon the scaffold, and then the way in which they were executed. And also, it is a, it's, a, it's not just about their lives, but it's also a salutary lesson about, A, why not to behave in the way that they do, because you will be punished in this way, but also it's what areas of London should you avoid? 
Mm. You know, so as not to have evil people like this getting on your case. I think the, the, it, it also seems so finite with, with the execution. Yes. And it's so important to... I think there's like an important historical lesson here to to consider that it may not have always been thus. People very nearly were not executed. <laughs> or, you know, there are examples, like I mentioned right at the beginning, of people being hanged several times. Captain Kidd, the pirate, was famously hanged twice because yes. it broke. But also thinking about... The, the famous examples where people are, are being vote their death is being voted on, so it's not necessarily a judge just saying gladiators. Right, that's for it. Example. Gladiators, for example, yes. um, or, or 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 French famous French kings at the beginning of the revolution, yes. Yes. for example. Yes. So old Louis, yes, he is. They decide to execute him, um, with three hundred and eighty to three hundred and ten. That's a close vote. Just about more than. 10% of the assembly and fundamentally historians think that some greater oratorial skill and diplomacy would have saved his life and then you're talking about the French Revolution following a completely different path and you know so we come back to we're talking about this with Nazis come back to diplomacy and the power of speech really really interesting yes. and fundamental to to executions beforehand in the conde- in the condemning and then at the moment of with the people who are actually doing it. Anne Boleyn was convicted for treason, basically for adultery, which was seen as treason against Henry VIII. And for treasoning, a woman would be burned. Um, And rather than being burned, Henry brought over a master swordsman from France, brought him in specially, and so her head was cleaved off with one deft blow. It's my Anne Boleyn fact. It's very good. It is good, isn't it? We're talking about the kind of the Tudors in that period, moving on to the 18th century. It's yes. also worth thinking about what the norm is, and I, I, I think that's important. So if you think about just, just how abnormal it was that Louis was Louis was killed at the beginning of the French Revolution. So if you've got places like medieval Scandinavia, late medieval England, Stuart Scotland, yeah, uh, or the case of medieval England, regicide is the norm. It is fundamentally normal. It happens all the time. Since ten- I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say that's the norm. I mean, it's. It is. It is shocking. And- Since 1066, of the 40 English monarchs who reigned, six were killed by their subjects, and five of those six murders, the exception being uh, Charles I, occurred in 158 years between 1327 and 1485. Yeah, that's I mean, a- it, it commonly happened, but not that it is. Not that that kind of behaviour is normalised. No. Would be what I would argue is a pedantic uh, now, but gift. Consider France. Okay, So the Capetian Monastery was founded in 987 AD. Between then and 1789, that's 802 years, Yes, 30 French kings reign, but none of them were deposed and only two were murdered. So the, there's a kind of a massive difference of what people do. The whole point is that people are tolerating incompetent and mad people. I mean, you've got George III at the same time, who, who is mad. And yep. he's he's rambling in a straitjacket, but he is tolerated and he is not executed. He is not murdered. You've got Charles VI of France, Henry VI of England, um, Eric Fourteenth of Sweden, Philip V of Spain. Lots of people who are tolerated for all of the things that are wrong with them in lieu of ex- executing them, with the exception of some places. It's just really interesting if you follow through who survives and who doesn't and, and who is executed and how in that period. I'll take your word for it on that. (laughs) It's an everyday thing, king killing. It is. Um, Do you have anything else? No, nothing. Oh, well, that's great. Um, I've got one little thing. Do you want to hear about animals? Go on. 
Here, tell me about animals. Right, I found this amazing book called Hanging in Chains by Albert Hartsthorne, written in 1891. He wrote a history of hanging in chains. And he has got a chapter on animals being hanged in public, often Ooh. in human clothing. Ooh. Yeah. Why would, they, why would they be executing animals? It was a custom in France to try, condemn and hang on the gibbet in human clothing certain animals under special circumstances. So a sow who had killed a child was hung up at Montigny. A bull was similarly tried and condemned for killing a man. But whether the gibbet is uh, whether the beast was gibbeted is not recorded. Probably too heavy for right. a gibbet. There's a a dog which has bitten a baby when playing at his uncle's house. This dog, he writes, had bitten the baby when playing at his uncle's house, where the child was holding in his hand a piece of meat which the dog had seized, and so bitten the child, and thus inflicted a wound on the two fingers of the right hand through the skin to the flesh, making the blood pour out of the wound and causing the child to die from this world by the terror thus produced within a few days afterwards. So it died of fear. Anyway, um, the dog is um, is gibbeted. It's hanged, hanged and gibbeted and, and displayed in public. And I've got one more interesting example. Uh, to do with Admiral Benbow, my favourite old Admiral Benbow. He um, has to sit on a court-martial where a sailor is found guilty of sodomising a turkey and both the sailor and the turkey are hanged together from the yardarm. Gosh, that's, that is unexpected. Um, thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell and you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at unexpected pod check out histories of the unexpected.com if you want to find out about all of our books and our live shows and all of the wonderful things we're doing and now a little message about giving us some support if you can if you go on to patreon.com forward slash histories of the unexpected you'll be able to offer us a couple of dollars a month support it will do everything that we need to help keep the mics turned on and we'd really appreciate your support for that. We're trying to do something new. We're trying to do something different. Get into schools, get into community groups, get across to as many people as possible. We can't do it without your help. So please, please pledge a little bit of money if you can just afford some. It would be super if you could help support uh, our little podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.